Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It is a brand new week. It is a brand new edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat rested and ready to go host, TJ Reeves. He is the purveyor, the owner, the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com. John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson. Which way does it go? Is it Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis? John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson. They are one and the same, and he is back with me uh, here for this latest edition. Good to talk with you. Uh, good to uh, go over some interesting subject matter. How are things, sir? Uh, well, uh, uh, Showbuzz Daily is back, so that's good. You know, that's uh, that'll make life potentially easier. Uh, you know, uh, another another week, a lot of work. Got to get more stuff done, but sports is starting to calm down a little bit, just in time for the NFL to start. No doubt. And so we should, as I often like to phrase it, pull the curtain back just a little bit on what you meant. You and I know what that means, but you're talking about a website that has done a great job for at least a short period of time, if not for years, with television ratings. They've been having problems, but when you do things in and around TV ratings, you love resources like what Showbuzz Daily is, right? Yep. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it, uh, it's been a little bit difficult. There's other sites out there. Uh, Spoiler TV has been the one uh, that uh, has had a, a lot of data, but uh, the data that Showbuzz had, and uh, we'll see if they bring that data back in their new iteration, was certainly useful uh, if you care about sports TV ratings at all, which a lot of people seem to. No doubt. We've covered that on here before, that especially the network level and the advertising level, they they use that as the scoreboard and the merit for all of this. Hey, he made a good segue yet again. I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional. I don't know what Fox believed the ratings would be for their Field of Dreams made-for-TV baseball game that took place last Thursday night at the time that we're taping in Iowa in the, in the same setting where they filmed a good portion of the movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner uh, Amy Madigan, Timothy Busfield, and of course, the boys, James Earl Jones, um, involved in that around the story of uh, uh, so many different stories that are intertwined with that. But in particular, the uh, the Chicago White Sox, the Black Sox, and, and, and uh, uh, Costner's father, his fictitious father in the movie, and getting to see those spirits or ghosts play in the cornfield. Okay, real baseball players played in the Iowa cornfield last Thursday. And wow, tremendous, exciting game. New York Yankees, Chicago White Sox, rating success, John Lewis. More from you on that. What did you think of it? And I know you put it out there already. You were you were pleasantly surprised at how well it did. Well, you know, I would never have thought in an era where World Series games last year, one of the World Series games averaged fewer than 9 million viewers. So I would never have expected a regular season game to get nearly 6 million. I mean, that's pretty close to World Series level, beating all but one of last year's League Championship Series games. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous surprise, right? Field of Dreams is a 32-year-old movie. 
you know, it is not a 32-year-old movie that is a pop culture sensation either, right? You know, Star Wars is also, you know, 40, 50 years old, but it's part of American life. Field of Dreams really isn't that. Um, uh, throughout the entirety of Field of Dreams, I kept uh, hearing the theme music in my head, but it was the theme music to the natural, right? Because <laughs> those movies, they all blend together. Uh, I've never seen Field of Dreams or The Natural, actually. But oh, my goodness. I have to stop you right there. You've okay. never seen any one of them for not even a portion, John? Tell oh. me you've seen at least a part of one of those movies. No, I've seen a portion of Major League. I've seen a portion of Major League. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the one with Bernie Mac, Mr. 3000, I've seen a little bit of. I've seen all of Kazam multiple times, but I've never seen any uh, Field of Dreams before. We have got to get you help that you've not seen at least a part of the natural or Field of Dreams, but you've seen Kazam quote many times, as you just multiple said. Multiple times, not many, multiple. Well, multiple I do times. own Kazam. I do own Kazam, <laughs> and I, I, it's in a box somewhere, and I can't find it. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal and his and his bank account thanks you, although Shaquille makes so much yeah. money from so many other directions, he doesn't have to worry about movie residuals if that is the case. So I understand that it's different for you than it is for those that saw right. the movie, but it was just neat to watch all of this come together. The introductions, Kevin Costner out of the cornfield, who obviously was an iconic, really still is an iconic actor, but was an iconic, iconic actor in the 80s and the 90s to come out of the cornfield for the introductions of the actual baseball game, the players to come out of the cornfield. It ju you just associated that with the movie. So I guess I'll quiz you. I mean, that that doesn't have it doesn't resonate the same way if you haven't seen the movie. Right. So here's what I will say, and I will never paint myself as a bellwether of what, you know, people will do. Um, but I didn't find the Costner aspect interesting at all. But I did like the players coming out of the cornfield, and I, I watched the entire game. I haven't watched an entire baseball game outside of the month of October for a very long time. I saw the whole game, but Field of Dreams... I wasn't interested in the movie or Costner at all. I was interested in the strange location, right? The fact that it was not in a usual place. I liked, and this is where it gets to me being bit, a bit more idiosyncratic, right? I liked the score bug and the graphics. You know, that's something that you're only going to care about if you're really into sports TV. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And then the game was good. I went away from the game for a bit. Then I came back for the ninth inning and it was very entertaining. It was a great watch, but the Costner stuff left me completely cold. I had no interest in it. And when he was walking out, I'm sure he was replicating some really moving part of the movie. But when he came out and was just standing around with that look on his face, I thought I was watching a Tim and Eric skit from Adult Swim. Okay. I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing. If you haven't seen the movie, I just, yeah. It, so for me, uh, I enjoyed it and I watched it. And again, I haven't watched a regular season baseball game start to finish outside of October since Bill Walton did that game for uh, CSN Chicago uh, <laughs> a few years ago. All right. Right. You the know, basketball announcer doing a baseball game just because. Well, not just any basketball announcer, but Bill Walton. Right. That's right. So, you know, uh, it was a great game and it worked out perfectly and it was a huge success. Okay. So two or three things that immediately come to mind here. Uh, on this one you have to have appreciation from the movie that that's how the players and I know you now know this if you didn't know it in around the time they would go and come back to the cornfield in the movie 
uh, from the cornfield to the field. That's how they would leave and depart. So that was perfect for that. And there are parts in the movie dramatically where Costner is standing there because, again, you're familiar, obviously, with the storyline of the movie. He's about to lose everything he owns. His family's going to lose their home. They're going to lose all of it because they've mowed over the cornfields to build the baseball field. And he is standing there hearing voices. If you build it, he will come. And who's the he? Is the he Shoeless Joe Jackson, which is Ray Liotta? The he turns out. Spoiler alert on the Sports Media Watch, but, um, Sports Media Watch podcast uh, here. Spoiler alert, the he is his father at the end who he never had a relationship with. And then he, and then the movie ends, and I'm going to try not to choke up while I'm talking to you for real, where he's there with his dad, who he never had a relationship with at the end of his, of his dad's life. Hey, dad, you want to have a catch? And they're throwing the baseball at the end of the movie. So for the older audience that saw the movie, they had to be calling relatives, dad, whoever, are you watching this? Are you seeing, it's like the movie. And I think that's the point. And what helped Fox's rating even more as it was going on. I know I called my father for a second about in the second inning and said, are you watching it? Yes, I've been watching since the beginning of this. So I think a lot of that was going on. I guess the question to you is, do you believe that really helped as the night went on that more people helped Fox uh, promote it? I actually don't think so because the peak was so much, not much higher than the overall average, which tells me, which is actually a good thing. It tells me that everyone was into it from the start. People weren't filing in afterwards. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of interest from the start and it was consistent throughout the night. So I don't think it was more people saying, hey, you got to tune, you, you tune in, but people were tuned in from the beginning, which I think is actually a good thing as well. You don't see that very often. People tend to file in as the game goes along. One of the things I've said to John Lewis is that we're going to try to be careful as we go along to not tip things that we're doing later on in the podcast at the beginning. I will tell you there's another edition coming of Love It or Leave It. It is going to involve the Field of Dreams game here. We'll, we'll bring it back to that. So I'm trying to stay away from what we're going to do later, if that makes sense to the audience. But let me hone back in on how much did the New York Yankees, who are one of the brand names, playing the Chicago White Sox, major market, humongous market, and they are good this year. Right now, the Yankees at the time that we're doing the podcast are not very good. Then again, they're the Yankees. The White Sox are good. How much did New York, Chicago, and that part of the storyline with Chicago being really good, in your mind also help this? I mean, a lot, right? 25 share in Chicago. I mean, I don't think if the Bulls made the finals last year, I'm not, there's no guarantee to get a 25 share in Chicago. Uh, you know, I mean, that in this environment, 25% of TVs in use tuned into a game. I mean, any game. I mean, that, that, that's in a market of that size, I should yes. specify. You know, when you're talking about New York, Chicago, and LA, that's a huge, you know, denominator for you to be getting that kind of audience with. And uh, so that was big. New York being at 6.6 .6 with 14, 14 share in New York. 14% of, of, of television homes in New York City tuned to a regular season baseball game. I mean, that's, you know, obviously the markets were a huge factor in that. And uh, they wouldn't have gotten that number with Rays versus Marlins. I can tell you that. No doubt. I mean, you could you could put any combination of, of teams in different markets like Milwaukee or like Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh has baseball history, but it's smaller on and on. And it probably would not have been the same. All right. So more on that in a bit. And one more on the finish. You again, the finish, 
for the last half hour, you had riveting baseball to end it with home runs in the top of the ninth, and then eventually the dramatic two-run homer to win it. They did mix the movies. You mentioned the natural. There's no fireworks going off at the end of Field of Dreams. The fireworks are going off at the end of the natural. I still cannot get over on the podcast. You haven't even seen part of Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs oh. hitting the home run in the natural in the climactic scene. Come well, I've on. seen the scene. I've seen the scene. The scene. Like, okay. I've at least seen it referenced. I'm pretty sure they must have referenced it like on The Simpsons or something. I know that he hits the ball into the scoreboard and the scoreboard makes all those sparks, right? I know That's that. Right. The light tower, whatever it hits, right? Yeah. I have seen basketball with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. So I've seen Just that. Stop. Just stop with, I mean, you're talking about all-time top 100, if not top 50 movies involving sports, and you're mentioning basketball yeah. in the same breath with hey. things, John. Come on. How Michaels and Bob Cox uh, <laughs> are quite good in basketball. So. <laughs> but wait a minute. The, the row of announcers is not as good as speaking of uh, Major League. How about the Naked Gun with Leslie oh, yeah. Nielsen and O.J. Simpson, where they have the role of uh, yeah. the row of announcers that included like Kurt Gowdy, Vin Scully, off the top of my head, Bob Costas, Al Michaels, uh, Jim Palmer, Tim McCarver, because they were doing the games, and Dr. Yeah. Joyce Brothers, yeah, if you remember, exactly. and Dick Vital. They were all. <laughs> They're all there yes. in the cameo of the Naked Gun calling the baseball game with uh, with Reggie Jackson trying to assassinate the Queen. Yeah. Uh, I need to. I, I've obviously seen Naked Gun, but I have not seen it like as an adult. I need to see that as an adult. Go back. I did see- Go back to sportsmediawatch.com post on, on the website and just recount. That's got to be the most sports announcers in one, in one five to ten second clip in any movie ever that they're all sitting there. And Hall of Fame broadcasters, yes. by the way. Yes. I mean, you know, you got to really love sports to, to put something like that together, right? You know, I mean, that it's always good when you're watching a movie and they do sports stuff in the movie when the people making the movie actually watch sports because you can always tell when they don't. Right. Yes. Like sometimes you're watching some of these movies, they got a sports center cameo and you're like, this would never happen in a million years. This is not how they act, you know, but uh, no, that was that was fun. Very true. All right. So lots on that. And again, we'll circle back to the Field of Dreams uh, baseball game. I know uh, that you wanted to make mention. I I, speaking of things that uh, we have seen or not seen, there is a new Netflix documentary on the malice at the palace which was the NBA game between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons that turned very ugly. I, I was trying to recollect, and you even corrected me, it has now been, what, 17, 18 years ago that they played that game where Ron Artest uh, and others eventually went into the stands and there was uh, engagement with fans, fists being thrown, fights. Uh, it was awful. It was on live national cable television on ESPN. And now there is a documentary. So tell me more, uh, John Lewis, about uh, the new Netflix documentary and everything about the malice at the palace coming back around. Yeah, well, uh, characteristically, I have not seen this documentary as of yet. I don't have Netflix. But, you know, it's been very interesting to see people talking about malice at the palace again. It's actually going on 17 years. It happened to uh, 04. And, uh, you know, uh, if we're talking about the long arc of NBA history, 75 years, there's two dates that stand out as the worst dates in league history, January 26th of 2020, we know what happened that day, and then November 19th of 2004. And, you know, the malice at the palace to me is one that uh, kind of gets memory hold of it. Uh, just how ugly that was in the moment 
Uh, I watched it today and uh, the actual, not the documentary, but the actual fight, it's eight minutes. You go in the span of eight minutes from garbage time of a game that's been decided to this tremendous, you know, basically riot. Uh, and uh, you, you in, in the course of watching it, you wonder how the league survived uh, that whole deal. Uh, so, you know, the thing about the Malice at the Palace documentary that I find interesting is we're starting to see scrutiny now of the way the media covered it. You might remember that night, the late John Saunders was really passionately critical of the fans. And uh, he was hosting that night with Tim Legler, Stephen A. Smith, and Greg Anthony. The tenor, except for Stephen A., interestingly enough, Stephen A. seemed to anticipate that the players are going to get more heat. I didn't remember that in the t- at the time, watching it live as it was happening. That is interesting. Yeah, Stephen A. seemed to be the only one who understood that the players are going to get the most heat. Uh, Saunders, Greg Anthony, uh, Legler, all of whom former athletes, Saunders used to play hockey. You know, they were very, 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 well, Saunders was very, very fired up. Uh, Legler and Anthony were actually a little bit less so, but all of them were uh, of the mind that the the fans were going to get the most heat. You flash forward a day and uh, it's open season on the players in a way they got really racial, really fast. Things got really uncomfortable. You had a lot of people saying thug this, thug that, gang this, gang that, you know, talking about hip hop culture and talking about people not having their dads around and, you know, all, all the all the all the dog whistles. And uh, it's just interesting to see the scrutiny of that now from people who are too young to have seen it right we have a whole generation of adults who are too young to remember the touchstone events of the early 2000s whether that be mouth the palace or we're coming up on 20 years since 9-11 they're kind of they're adults and they don't know about like they have no firsthand experience with these things that have shaped so much of our sporting culture so much of our general culture so i find it very interesting to to see now those types of things be discussed by people who weren't around at the time. And they kind of marvel at what was going on. They can't believe, well, I can't believe people were calling these guys thugs on the air. I can't believe it. Because obviously today, try calling someone a thug on the air. See how long, see how long you still have your job after that's done. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a different environment now than it was back then. I, I, I find that to be very interesting. Voice of John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson. It is the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Again, uh, I make mention of this all the time. If you're finding us for the first time via either the website through SportsMediaWatch.com or through a social media link, et cetera, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We're usually out early during the week right now. Subscribe via all the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pla- uh, Google Podcasts, because whenever there is a new episode, you will get it automatically if you are subscribed. So a friendly reminder on that. I'm curious with your students, and again, you've shared this with us. You're open about this. You do college. Uh, you teach uh, college-age students. You're a professor. What was their general reaction? Was their general reaction that ooing and eyeing and horrified when they were more than likely watching it for the first time? How would you characterize it, John? Well, you know, I don't think I would say, you know, I think some of them had probably seen it already. Um, You know, uh, I I don't think it was a huge shock to them. It's part of the popular culture. The difference is, of course, they see the fight. They don't see the aftermath. They don't see the media coverage of it. That, I think, is what a lot of people who are watching this documentary on Netflix are, are so surprised by because they're used to, you know, I don't think people understand culturally in terms of the way we talk about race, this era is a huge outlier and totally not the way things were 
17 years ago. I mean, you can talk about race, you can talk about uh, sexual orientation, gender, all of these things that people just kind of take for granted in, the, in terms of the way we talk about them now. You can turn it on its head the way they, those things were talked about in 2004. Uh, and uh, so I think that is, is more than anything the surprise. Um, I, you know, one thing that I did hear when I, when I screened the video uh, today was there, there was some level of surprise that ESPN showed it, that they didn't cut away. And you know, the interesting thing is on the Reddit page, uh, on the NBA's Reddit page, they've been talking a lot about Malice of the Palace there too. And I've seen the same exact reaction where they keep saying, well, if that happened today, ESPN would cut away. And it's interesting because they wouldn't, right? No, there's no Absolutely way. Absolutely not. No, because uh, it's news. You know, when, something like that happens. It's, it's major serious news. You're, you're going to cover it. You're going to show it, uh, you know. Uh, and But that does bring up an interesting offshoot, right? Uh, what should you show and what shouldn't you show? We've seen that so many times with Christian Erickson, right? That was news. But then ESPN was showing all of this stuff going on Granted, it was the world feed. People were extremely offended by that. And if I you don't calling... know what John is referencing, maybe you didn't catch the reference. This is a soccer player from Denmark that collapsed during a Euro Cup soccer game live on worldwide TV. And then the debate there again becomes what do you show it? Do you not show it, et cetera? Continue on. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's a fascinating question. I don't really know what the answer is. You, there's a certain level of responsibility. I don't think they could have gone back to the studio like some people were saying with the Christian Erickson situation. You have to stay there. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a tough question. I always go back to take it to a really dark place. I always go back to 9-11 and the decision of whether or not to show people who are in the buildings and falling out of the buildings and all of that nightmarish stuff that my understanding is people overseas saw a lot more of than we did in this country. You know, how do you find that divide between news and good taste, right? Or even with Afghanistan, what we're seeing now, I haven't seen the footage of people trying to hang on to the plane since they're, you know, I haven't seen that. I'm not going to search it out. And I'm, you know, if I were to turn, turn on the news, would CNN show that? You know, what exactly? And then, you know, that also gets to another question of, how much do we want to shield ourselves from what's really going on in the world? You know, sure. how much do we want to shield ourselves from, you know, and, and by doing so, are we allowing ourselves to, you know, not deal with things as they are and kind of live in a bit of a fantasy world? Of it? It's so, a great point to pick up on on that, because, again, there, there's a couple of important things on the Malice of the Palace broadcast and the game. The game was not over yet. Right. So that's the first thing. This is not like it's something that happened after the game in the post-game handshake line or going back to the tunnel to go back to the locker room. The game was still going on. So ESPN is still covering the game. And obviously, now what they did after that is up for great debate. Let me give a, let me give a great point that, uh, that I think the audience may or may not remember this. Um, ESPN is famous for this tactic, not just exclusively. There are a lot of cable networks that will do this. They continue to show it over and over and over again that night, middle of the night, and so much so that you now have millions of people that weren't watching the game that are now seeing it on their network. And remember, I'm going to make everybody 
uh, that, that's now older, uh, feel like we're all getting old. There's no Facebook at that time. There's no Twitter at that time. There's no TikTok at that time for there to be little clips of it on the internet. It was on the internet, but it's not social media age back at that time. And so the point that I'm coming to is the next day there was a football game between Clemson and South Carolina, John. And they had a hellacious fight during the game where both benches of football players, not baseball players, a couple dozen, we're talking about arguably a hundred or more football players are just having an all-out brawl. Yes, they have helmets and shoulder pads on. Some did not, though. Some had their helmets off. This went on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And I still vividly remember Lou Holtz was the coach of South Carolina saying after the game, that the conduct is unacceptable from our guys and from their guys. And part of the problem was ESPN showing that replay of that fight last night over and over and over again. And our 19 and 20 and 21 year olds saw it and thought, this is okay. This is how we can act. If we want to be violent on the field, this is how we can act. So that was his take. So I just thought that was an interesting, what do you make of that? That uh, showing it incessantly like that almost can, can, lead to other unintended consequences. How about that for a couching of a phrase? Well, one, you have a great memory. Uh, that definitely, uh, that was, like you said, the very next day. Uh, one, Lou Holtz is making a lot of excuses too. Like, let's keep that in mind, you know. But I mean, maybe it had an impact. Uh, certainly, you're right. They were replaying that constantly. Sports Center that night opened with a full replay of, of that entire ordeal. Uh, and, you know, in general, people understand, and this is the reason why they don't show streakers, right? Streakers have no news value. So if you choose not to show them, it's not a problem. And I understand why they don't, because they don't want to encourage more people to do that. There's a reason why they don't, they don't report on suicides in the news, because they don't want to encourage. And, you know, that's kind of behind the whole idea of not naming mass shooters as well, because you don't want to encourage. How much do I buy into the idea that media you know, can influence people in that regard. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much I buy it. I really don't. I don't know that I don't buy it, but I don't know that I do buy it. I think it's, it's, a, it's a questionable argument, I think. Doesn't mean it's not correct. I just, you know, I feel like that one presumes people are more influenced by content than perhaps they are. I do think people are very influenced by content, but I don't think it's wow, I saw that brawl. So today I'm going to go out and fight. You know, we do know that watching media content, you know, really fires people up sometimes. There's a reason you listen to certain music, you know, they're, they're, you're going to listen to a really intense song before a game. You're not going to listen to uh, Midnight, The Stars and You, right? You're not going <laughs> to listen to that. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I believe full, fully that Lou Holtz was making excuses that night. I also think just because he was making excuses doesn't mean what he was saying was totally nonsensical. There may have been an element there. Would that fight have happened on November 20th, 2004 without the malice at the palace happening the previous night? I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, it's hated, hard to hated rivals, tempers flare, and these fights happen in football games. It's true. Mm-hmm. So just something else to add to the footnote. Okay, a couple more things, and I promise we're next going to move on to something that is now growing in popularity, I believe, which is love it or leave it. Uh, The subject matter with John Lewis on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. 
Uh, I have a colleague in the Detroit media who was there that night at the Palace of Auburn Hills, which, by the way, you want to keep making reference to the fact that we're old? They've blown that place up, John. It doesn't exist anymore. They now play downtown at the Little Caesars Arena. The uh, the, uh, Red Wings and the Pistons play in the downtown arena that was built about six, seven years ago. So the Palace doesn't even exist out in Auburn Hills, out in the suburbs uh, anymore. He was there that night in the media. And the media is seated um, in two different locations. The court side is usually reserved for the TV broadcasters. The national broadcast is sitting across from the scorer's table. Most of the time, the TV announcers for the teams are beside the benches on the scorer's table. Most of the other time, the media is in an auxiliary area up higher, like in the second level, the first level, the second level, or in the end zone or up high in the end zone. In the palace, as he described it to me, there's an auxiliary area at that time that was up like about mid first level and second level, but they were on the, he was on the side where all of it was going on and could see all of it unfold. And he said, at first, you're almost thinking, is this a movie? Is this a prank? Is what is going on when you see players in the stands, punching at fans, fans punching back at them, security, assistant coaches pouring into the stands, trying to pull people off. Um, he said it was bizarre. And he said, and then of course it goes on, like you mentioned for minutes and they finally restored order. I'm trying to remember, help me because you've been studying it. They didn't, they never resumed the game. They called the game. Right. So they then went to the locker room. He's in the media and they've now got to go try to interview people after the game. And basically the Pacers were not talking. They were not going to talk about this. They're now trying to find the game referees about, are you going to resume the game? Is the game officially over? What is the league said? He said it was just bizarre and chaotic. And he even said to me, I have, I have been at Pistons games. He said this before as a fan or whatever, as a fan, you would have probably left the game because it was a bad decided game, but in the media, you had to stay for the post game. And now you stayed for all of the chaos. So there I've laid out a story for you where if you were there that night, you were, you probably may have had that sense. Am I really watching what's going on here? Danger and safety, right, John? Oh yeah. And uh, you know, the interesting thing is the next game they played a few months later, there was a bomb threat that delayed the game for several hours. Some people might remember that. Uh, interestingly enough, they met in the playoffs that year. Uh, the Pacers actually took game one, but, you know, they didn't have anything, uh, you know, without Ron Artest. They lost in six. That was the end of Reggie's career. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of bitterness and anger still among Pacers fans for this, uh, very much so. Uh, they feel like a, a championship was stolen from them, and Detroit and its fans never suffered really enough consequences uh, and it is interesting because the league really suffered more of a blow than the, than the Pistons in Detroit did. Uh, and that was why Stern did some of the things he did. That's where NBA cares came from, right? That's where the dress code came from. There was a lot of PR, you know, uh, and the sense was that the NBA's players were out of control. Some of that was based in reality in terms of there were, there were a lot of legal issues going on in the league at that time. Some of that was based in stereotyping too. A lot of it was based in stereotyping. Uh, and, you know, the league's image is better now. Even now with all these people complaining about the NBA, oh, well, I'll never watch the NBA again. The NBA is way better off now, even with the ratings being lower now than they were then. NBA is way better off now. There's, there's no comparison. Uh, if you're talking about the NBA situation now versus the mid-2000s. Because at the very least today, the worst thing anyone can say about an NBA player is that uh, they're too socially conscious, right? 
you know, the worst thing you could say about NBA players back then was, well, you know, he was shooting off his gun in the parking lot of the strip club, right? Right. So, you know, I mean, and that's not a made up story. I'm pretty sure that's something that happened. Uh, So the NBA is, and I don't believe the NBA was ever some kind of den of thugs, like people were saying. I think there were some bad apples, but I don't think, no, knock on wood, right? You never know if when you say these things out loud, then all sorts of weird stuff happens. But right now, the worst thing you can say about the NBA and its players is that the players are too socially conscious, which is really not actually, not actually a bad thing for most people. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, you don't have the legal issues, knock on wood, you don't have uh, the, you know, anything that could approach criminal behavior. Good stuff from John Lewis here on the Malice of the Palace, the next the Netflix documentary. Again, you're a professor. We have a homework assignment. We got to see it at some point. Yes. Uh, yes. Here, but uh, I got to get Netflix. More about it. We got to look for that. Well, we'll get you. We'll get you a next a Netflix login maybe, and then see if you can see it. Or they should give it to you. I can't believe they didn't give you access like a pre thing to screen it. So we got to we got to line that up for you. You being who you are. Um, I got to catch up. Uh, I got to catch up on Bill Burr's show. Definitely, we definitely know that you haven't been watching Ted Lasso. And again, if you're not a podcast listener, you should have listened to the first episode as to why John has not been binging that instead of watching The Malice at the Palace. All right, that was part of a previous Love It or Leave It. Let's get Mm. into some Love It or Leave It with two or three different subjects here. Love It or Leave It. Let's go back to the Field of Dreams broadcast on Fox. I have an opinion, your opinion. Please, should they leave it? Did you love it enough that we should see it again from Fox and they should do this annually? Or should they leave what we saw with the dramatic finish and all the stuff last time, last uh, Thursday should be the only time? Love it or leave it? Uh, They should ride it into the dirt. Just keep riding it until it's nothing anymore and has no value. You know, do it 20 more times. And if the 20th time gets a two rating or not a two rating, a 0.2 rating, then fine. But uh, they should keep they should keep it going, and they should do more places. I saw somebody I think on Twitter had said you know had given out like a whole bunch of suggestions, including like the National Mall. Obviously, more baseball in strange places. You got to find a way to make this 162 game slog. I understand that, but specific to the cornfield, you want right. them to go back to the cornfield every year, or you're saying get creative with other locations and don't go back to the cornfield. The cornfield for the first few years, do that. You can do it five straight years. And then, you know, by the, by year five, it's going to have nothing. In fact, really by next year, people are going to already, you know. Amen. Respectfully, yeah. they should leave it. It really? was perfect. As Costner said, we made a little movie. The movie is perfect. The movie didn't need a sequel. Right. The movie didn't need a follow-up. How are they ever going to get any better than that night with everything that unfolded as it did with Costner there, the dramatic finish, the Yankees being there, all of that. So many times we, we want to try to recreate and continue it on and it, and it doesn't work. It doesn't, you, you can't ever recreate that magic. They did kind of, they planned for a lot of this. There was, I saw something where there was like over two years of planning on how they were going to do what they did with the Fox broadcast and with MLB. MLB built that stadium that is next to the tourist area with the field and the house and where they shot a lot of the movie. They spent millions of dollars to build that field, to light it, to do all of these different things. 
to me, uh, rather than trying to recapture that, but it, it's so many times, this is what we do. We run, we run things completely into the ground. The perfect example I give is the New Year's Day outdoor stadium hockey game mm-hmm. that the yeah. NHL came up with on NBC. The first one, and correct me if, if you remember that I'm wrong, but I think the first one was the, the, uh, the Penguins and Sidney Crosby scoring in the snow, in 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 the freezing cold outdoor stadium to win in a shootout that was perfect they should have left stadium hockey alone on new year's day instead of repeatedly going back to it and now it cheapens it what what follow up on my point what do you say counterpoint well i say airplane 2 the sequel didn't ruin airplane right (laughs) you know uh jordan with the wizards didn't ruin jordan with the bulls you know, and yeah, it's going to get less interesting and the next ones are going to be less special. That's not going to ruin the first one. And if you can get if you can get an above average number, because that number at six million viewers is so much higher than the right. average. And even with a significant decline next year, a double digit drop, you could still be above average next year for the next one. So just keep, you know, keep doing it until the audience is just not there anymore at all. And then move on to the next one. What hockey did that was so dumb was they stretched that out beyond New Year's. So it wasn't just one outdoor game a year. It was one New Year's Day game. And also here's one for Canada. And also here's one in February and another one in March. And, you know, I mean, that is when you're you're really doing a disservice. But uh, you, you, you got to keep the Field of Dreams going. You got to I mean, they just greenlit a new Field of Dreams series on Peacock. And I know that wasn't something they just did in the past week, but obviously there's some kind of resurgence around that movie, you know, and I think got to keep going, you know, Uh, no one in the media industry just stops at one unless they are a true artist, right? Perfect, perfect example of that. And a great reference too about sequels to movies. I mean, Rocky two is arguably Mm -hmm. as good or better than Rocky with the finish with Apollo Creed. Please tell me you saw Rocky and Rocky two. Are you going to tell me on the the podcast you haven't seen those? Come on, John. I've seen enough of the Rocky (laughs) movies to know what, you know, everything that's going on. I've seen the end of Rocky one when, you know, he doesn't win, but he's still celebrating. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen that. I think I mean I'm, I know Apollo Creed gets killed. You know I've that's seen later. him. Die. That's later. But the ending that's of Rocky, Rocky Two, where he wins the title and Yo Adrian, we did it, holding up the belt. That's the second one. Godfather oh, well, Two is widely regarded as better than the original Godfather because they made another one, which is what your point is. Now that see, you see, I have not seen Godfather or Godfather. That's II. more understandable because that's older, and I I was much older before I began to watch them because those were those are before my time too or right at the beginning of my time, but the sequel is sometimes better. Perfect example of what you're talking about, and then we'll move on. ABC, speaking of the time period of Malice in the Palace and the late 90s, 2000s, ABC had a runaway hit with Regis Philbin doing Who Wants to Be Mm -hmm. a Millionaire? And it was on every week, once a week, and they were doing it for about a 13 to to 20-week run, whatever it was. Then they became over-the-top obsessed with two nights a week in prime time. And I think they even went to three. And if not, they definitely went to syndicated during the day, five days a week to have something on in syndication because I got to fill up all the hours. They yep. killed the novelty, the drama, the wait till yep. now, just because we just 
we almost have to pig out on everything. That's my phrase, like a buffet. We have to pig out on everything in this country, including with our TV, right? We just got to have it every day. And it killed who wants to be a millionaire's novelty or whatever it had going for it. Just yeah, it's saying. greed, right? You know, and greed kills everything, but you can at least, you know, you can still sate yourself in the meantime before it goes too far. And I think that's what they'll do with Field of Dreams and, and all of these things. And I'm sure the NBA, you know, I've already seen people talking about the NBA at Rucker Park and things like that. I mean, I'm sure you will see more and more of this. Hockey, by the way, had something very nice at uh, Lake Tahoe. It was just a disaster because they couldn't get the ice to work. Right. But before it all fell apart, it was the most scenic thing I'd ever seen in sports TV. I was, you know, looking on Amazon trying to find paintings of mountains to buy for my house watching that. <laughs> it was really amazing. And they hung in there trying to show the hockey game because, again, they were having unusually warm temperatures yeah. and having trouble keeping the ice cold enough to be able to skate on. And But NBC made the best of it in their final year of doing hockey um, with that. All right, let's continue. Love it or leave it. Interesting that the Rose Bowl has announced the traditional New Year's Day bowl game. They once again have asserted their authority, their leverage. We don't want to move off of our time slot, college football playoff inclusion or not. We don't want to budge. We want to have at least a Big Ten team, if not a Big Ten and a Pac-12 team involved in our game. That's been the tradition. All right, so let's move it into love it or leave it. Are you a Rose Bowl fan? And we got we to gotta work this into a conversation. Are you big into that, into that game and the granddaddy of them all? They even refer to themselves in their own press release and on their own site as the granddaddy of them all, John. Leave it. Uh, leave the Rose Bowl behind and stop letting them dictate what we do with the college football postseason. Uh, you know, the Rose Bowl is a beautiful game and it gets great ratings in that time slot and it gets better ratings than I, I think than other games could get in that time slot. But I don't think it's so much of a bigger draw that you need to let them control the college football postseason the way that they do. They could stand a serious humbling over there, at the Rose Bowl. And uh, I, I think I mean, they're not going to do it, but I would love to see the Rose Bowl get left out. Because, you know, it's about time that they stop thinking of themselves as the granddaddy of college football uh, and understand that, you know, I mean, ultimately, the distance between the Rose Bowl and the Beefo Brady's Bowl is not as vast <laughs> as they might think. Right. So I'm laughing because Beefo Brady's is created in the area where I live in Tampa Bay, <laughs> Tampa St. Pete. And my man, John Lewis, knows enough to call it the Beefo Brady's Bowl. That's outstanding. He doesn't know the natural. He doesn't know Field of Dreams, but he knows the Beefo Brady's Bowl. But I get sure you. I didn't mean to side. Yeah. No, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, I'd like to see the Rose Bowl uh, humbled a bit. And I know it won't happen because the ratings are what the ratings are. The Rose Bowl consistently gets great ratings. But, you know, some of that is the time slot. And if the, you know, uh, you go back to 2006, the last year of the BCS original format, where every four years, the Rose Bowl would not be in that New Year's time slot because it was the national championship. In 06, the Fiesta Bowl was in that time slot, had Ohio State against Notre Dame, and their ratings were really, really good. They were comparable to a Rose Bowl. If the Rose Bowl were to get dislodged from that time slot and you had the Fiesta Bowl in there, and it was a sufficiently good Fiesta Bowl, like not just any Fiesta Bowl is going to, you know, match the Rose Bowl. Uh, I think you would be just fine, you know. 
so, I mean, if the Rose Bowl wants to make trouble for everybody all the time and make things difficult for everybody all the time, I mean, I'd love to see them get left behind. I think that's overdue. But Let me put something lot- out there. All right, I understand that point. Let me put something out there. What's at bigger play here is the battle between the conferences and the mm-hmm. Big Ten and the Pac-12 love that bowl game, obviously. Oh, yeah. And the bigger battle is... Is it the centerpiece of a behind-the-scenes battle with another network besides ESPN that may want to televise college football playoff? We'll keep an eye on that because there's the ultimate leverage if the Big Ten and the Pac-12, hypothetically, were to kind of try to go their own way and say, hey, we'll just play in the Rose Bowl for our version of the championship, uh, depending on if somebody's undefeated or not. I don't know. I don't know how far that gets. I just thought it was interesting. They put out their own release in advance, putting their own talking points out about how they believe they belong where they belong, and even referred to themselves as we're known as the granddaddy of all in their yeah. own release, John. You say leave yeah. it, though. Yeah, yeah. I say, uh, you know, let them do their own thing and see how successful they are. You know, I mean, honestly, they might, they might be successful, right? Especially if they were to somehow get the Big Ten and Pac-12 you know, who just about a year ago were saying we're not doing college football this season. And then after everybody else said, okay, who cares? Then they came crawling back like within two weeks time. Let's see if the big 10 and PAC 12 really were to have the guts to go out on their own. Then the Rose bowl maybe would have, would have some hope there. But, you know, uh, other, other than that, I think, you know, the, the power they have doesn't make sense to me. Love it or leave it. One more, and I already know what the answer is, but for the audience here, you were talking about having to take a road trip. Are, are, do you prefer to be, uh, love it or leave it, at the wheel, or do you prefer to be a passenger some of the time? Do you have to drive all of the time? Or love it or leave it here, can you leave it and let somebody else do the driving? Uh, I'm going to say leave it. Uh, you know, I am not a big driver. I'm not a big driver. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, you know, I, 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 one, I've been on a lot of long road trips over the years, you know, mm-hmm. each hours here and there. Cause I don't fly, you know, I'm, I'm on that Madden trip. So, uh, yeah. Have uh, you flown before on love it yes. and leave it and you just don't like it? Okay. Yeah, I've flown before. Uh, I have never met a TSA agent in my life. I've never seen a TSA agent before. So you can figure out the last time I flew. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, you know, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not afraid of flying so much as I recognize that of all of the ways to go, I would find that to be among the least pleasant. So I don't invite the opportunity as much as I can. You know what I mean? And so there are a lot of people right now that are still on vacation, et cetera, maybe hearing the podcast, they're driving back to wherever, they're making long drives. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, this morning at the time that we're taping the podcast, and they just drove as a family like some 12 hours to get back, including with the traffic. And the, <laughs> the father, the dad's like, I did all the driving, I'm doing all the driving. So I'm just curious about, about John on Love It or Leave It with the driving uh, in the in the uh, in the summers and long hauls, can I confess on the podcast? I don't know if they're going to hear it at some point. I have never been on the long haul drive beyond about six or seven hours with the family. I don't know what we would do on like a twelve hour or a two day of full driving. I don't know how we would handle all of that. As the fact, we've not done that with my wife and my kids. So I'm a little bit. I know some do that because it's less expensive to be able to get from here to there. 
So yeah. I just I just wonder on level. I'm just waiting, you know, I'm just waiting for the teleportation technology to finally, you know. Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Any, planes and trains and all that. Anything else that we need to cover here before we're done on this edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast? Did we leave, speaking of leaving it, did we leave anything else out that you might want to hit on between talking about the field of dreams, talking about the malice of the palace, talking about the Rose Bowl and the college football playoff and television contracts, anything else? Well, I did want to share, you know, if we're talking about movie tie-ins, I've had for the longest time this idea that college game day should go to the Overlook Hotel, one of these Octobers, like, you know, for Halloween, and just set up, instead of students in the background, you can have all the uh, the shining ghosts back there <laughs> with some specific 1920s themed signs. Oh. And at the end, Corso puts on the bear head from The Shining, and that's how the, that's how the episode ends. One of my great ideas. Have you somehow written this somewhere or suggested this to them in writing yet? Or are you breaking no, it here on the podcast? I'm breaking it here. So all the ESPN people who, who listen to this podcast, please use this idea. You do have to credit me. You do have to credit me. But uh, go to the Overlook Hotel for game day. Uh, and uh, again, Corso has to put on the bear head from that one really, truly bizarre scene in the shining at the oh, end. Oh my gosh. Yes. With here's Johnny baby. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Crazy parts of that movie. And yet you've seen that, but not field of dreams. Of course, we're going to, we're going to have to reconcile that maybe off the air. At least I've got to think about that. On, I was uh, watching, I watched the shining when I was like nine, 10, 11 years old. And now like we that. begin to understand some things about you that you saw that at that early of an age, but have not seen the natural and then how phenomenal, uh, all, all of that is, although the natural, by the way, doesn't stick to the book. The book has different parts and a different, I don't know if it's a completely different ending, but a sort of different ending than what the movie did. Uh, but the movie absolutely works with, uh, with Robert Redford and the, and the fireworks going off. And that kind of segue to the ending of the field of dreams, baseball game with the white Sox and the fireworks going off and the home run. You could not have scripted it. If you were Fox to have that end any better into the cornfield for now, I think that's going to be about it. John, we encourage them to read uh, sportsmediawatch.com as always. One more time, subscribe to this podcast. You will get it whenever it comes out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Attic, any other podcast outlets that you've got. Uh, subscribe to it, and this one will come automatically to it. Anything else in closing, John? Uh, no, just that Robert Redford and Shirley MacLaine are brother and sister. So a lot of people don't know that. That's I love the Hollywood trivia. Uh, you know the it, irony of me not watching The Natural and Field of Dreams. I, I love old movies. I'm not, you know, I was watching The Philadelphia Story yesterday with uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. There you go. I, I mean, and you go back. You go, so you're a big Turner Classic movie guy. I sure it am. Sounds like there you go. I sure am. Yeah. Eddie Davis. Pretty soon, what's going to be sad is pretty soon The Natural. If we keep, if we keep living long enough, The Natural is going to end up on Turner Classic. Movies. I'm sure it's already out there. You know, if they've got the rights. You know, oh, particularly when we're in the car with the twins listening to the 80s music, and I'm going, This is now considered classic rock. When did that happen? When, when did that happen? Uh, we look forward to sure. much more from sportsmediawatch.com and much more from the podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you hanging out here on the latest edition. All right. And I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. <laughs>